I want to recognize, you have a lot of guests here this morning, but I want to recognize one guest in particular, and that's my mom, you know, so my mom is here this morning, and so I am particularly honored that, uh, that mom is here. Now, <clears throat> because my mother is here, and because she picks on me all the time about preaching less or shorter sermons, this is going to be a shorter sermon. It is April Fool's Day, though, right? <laughs> Now, maybe I'll actually succeed at preaching less this morning. Pastor Adrian Rogers said, The resurrection is not merely, not merely important to the historic Christian faith. Without it, there would be no Christianity. It is the singular doctrine that elevates Christianity above all other world religions. Pastor Tim Keller said, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. Actually, he's wrong. You don't really have to accept all he'd said. You can reject him. But if Jesus rose from the dead, you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything or any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether you like Jesus' teaching or not, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Now, I want to tell us all this morning that the, that the New Testament absolutely agrees with that sentiment. In the Christian faith, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus are inextricably joined together. You cannot have one of any value without the other one present. In either case, the value of both go away if one of them is missing. The New Testament makes this statement. The Apostle Paul makes this statement. He would agree with both Adrian and Tim, or maybe they, I should say, they agree with uh, the Apostle Paul that without the resurrection, you know, in fact, Paul says, without the resurrection, six things in particular lie in shreds if Jesus is not risen from the dead. Six things that would have been important to them. But then he reverses that in the last verse, or the next verse, after he kind of gives these, these six things that lie uh, just in, destroyed by the fact that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if he didn't. Paul reverses that and he says, but, but, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now the passage is 1 Corinthians 15. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there and, and keep it open and follow along, feel free to do that. I'd be honored if you did that. But we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to read verse 14 through verse 20. But in 14 through verse 19, we have the six things that the Apostle Paul says, that if Christ is not ri risen, these things are of no value whatsoever. So beginning with verse 14, Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But then the Apostle Paul affirms a truth that has brought us here this morning, and it's this, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. 
Now I realize this morning on this Resurrection Sunday morning, I, I realize that some of you are not convinced that Jesus is alive. You're not convinced that He died a real death and then actually rose from the dead. And let me just say, you would not be alone. In fact, most of the world does not believe what probably most of us in this room claim to believe, and that is that Jesus died a very real death the kind of death that we have all seen our loved ones die, and yet He came back to life, never to die again. He came back actually changed from that death, never to die again. Now, if you're interested, seriously interested at all, as to the evidence for the resurrection of Christ, now I can point you to a lot of resources that will give you the evidence why you ought to put your faith in that statement of truth that Jesus died and rose again. I tell you, one of the more recent ones is a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. It's a very easy read, and, uh, and actually they made it into a motion picture, so you can watch the motion picture and get the gist of the book. The book will have more evidence in it. But if you're interested, at all interested, as to the evidence for the resurrection of Christ, I would point you to that. But this morning, this morning, what I'm going to do for, the, for, the, for this talk is I'm going to assume the resurrection of Jesus to be true. I'm going to assume that what Peter and John and Paul and many others attested to, I'm going to assume that's true. And so what does it mean that that's true, that Jesus has risen from the dead? Now, what I just read you, Paul says, if it's not true, here's a bunch of things that are false. Here's a bunch of things that are of no value if Jesus is not risen from the dead. But, he goes on to say, but Christ is risen from the dead. So what I want to do in this talk, for about maybe less than 30 minutes... I, I want to sh- restate those negative statements that Paul made, and I want to put them back in the positive, because Jesus really did rise from the dead. So that would mean all of, all of Paul's negative statements are really positives. And so we're going to flip them, and, and, uh, and i got to tell you, when I did that, when I began to put these negative statements in the positive, I really found these to be bolstering my faith and encouraging my heart. And so my hope on this resurrection Sunday morning is that as I do that for you today in these next few moments, that your heart is going to be encouraged. In other words, I'm hoping that these six truths posited in the resurrection of Jesus will be an absolute encouragement to every one of you sitting here listening to me this morning. Now, I thought about what order should I present these six, these six truths in, because to be honest with you, I think some are, are of greater value than others, but I decided after deliberating, I'm just going to go through the text the way Paul laid it out, and we're going to look at these, at these six positive truths that are true because Christ is risen from the dead. So here we go. Because Jesus came back to life, never to die again, proclaiming Jesus matters. Telling people about Jesus matters. Preaching is not in vain. Preaching actually matters. Now here's the reason why preaching matters, or why proclaiming. Let me me, me back up a step. Forget I said preaching, because I don't want you to just picture what, what Paul is talking about as what I'm doing right now. Yeah, we call this preaching. I like to call it I'm talking, all right? But, but I'm, he's talking about proclaiming Jesus in any setting. 
All right? He's talking about you, talking to your coworker across the cubicle or sitting there with your coworker over the water machine talking about Jesus. That's, that's what he's talking about. And he's saying, proclaiming Jesus matters. And here's why it matters. Because the Bible says, God says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So here's the deal, everyone. When you talk about Jesus, it engenders faith in people's lives. It causes them, it brings out in them faith. It, it works in their lives so that they put their faith in Jesus. And, and so our preaching is not in vain because preaching, or and there I go again, talking about Jesus is not in vain because it changes people, their eternal destiny, but not just their destiny in the future. And it will indeed change that, but, but it's going to change their lives right now. Preaching, change, teaching, talking about Jesus changes people's lives right now. In fact, this talk that I'm delivering on this Sunday morning may, in fact, possibly change your life. It may change your eternal destiny, but it may change your life even from this day forward. Now, preaching Jesus, talking about Jesus with others, telling other people about Jesus matters because of something else God said in Isaiah 55.10. Listen, I don't think it's on the screen, but listen. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, God says, just like that, just like the rain comes down, causes plants to grow, feeds your face, gives you seeds to, to make more food, he says, so my word, so my word be which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Here's what God says. He says, when my word is proclaimed in this setting or with you over the water cooler with your coworker or, or, or over the lawnmower with your neighbor across the fence, you know, when, you're, when you talk about Jesus, God says, my word is going to not come back to me without accomplishing what I want it to accomplish. Now, I'm going to tell you what I believe God wants to accomplish whenever his word is proclaimed. Whenever you talk to your friends or your neighbors about Jesus, whenever you, you sit under the preaching of God's word like this this morning, I, there's two things that I think God wants to happen. Number one, he wants you to draw near to him. His word will cause you to draw near to him, or his word is going to cause your heart to grow harder. One of those two things. When God says, my word will not come back to me without accomplishing what I want it to accomplish, one of two things is what God desires, that, that his word harden your heart or that his word soften your heart towards him. Can I just say this? I think maybe most of us that grew up in church, we've heard these verses. We know this to be truth. God says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I can't stand the fact when you're in the middle, apathetic and lukewarm. I just do not like that position. And so God's word, I'm just absolutely convinced there's no neutral space. There's no neutrality in this. And so when God's word is spoken, it's going to do one of two things to the, to the hearer. It's going to soften their heart, move them towards God, or it's going to move them away from God and harden their hearts towards him. Our preaching isn't in vain. Our preaching matters. Our proclaiming Jesus matters, and it matters for all eternity. Number two, because Jesus came back to life, never to die again, Jesus is trustworthy. We can trust him. If Jesus has long ago died and remained dead, no spot marks his death, his grave, excuse me, then he, he has been destroyed by the passing of time. But, but he didn't stay dead. 
He did not remain dead. In fact, his body, God didn't allow his, his body himself to go to undergo any decay because he was only in the grave 39 hours, okay? He was not destroyed with the passing of time. And so what that tells us is that, that our Lord Jesus, it tells us that when he told us he was coming back, when he told us he was going to conquer death, he became trustworthy. We can trust him. Paul says your faith is in vain. Your trust in Jesus is in vain. It matters not if Christ is not risen. But because Christ is risen, Jesus is trustworthy. And so your trust in him is validated. And your trust in him is worth something. Now I believe deep in in every man's heart, in every woman's heart, all of you here this morning in this room, I believe in every one of your hearts, you long for someone that you can count on. Someone that you can depend on no matter what. Someone who's not going to let you down. Someone who's not going to deceive you. Someone who's absolutely trustworthy. That if you put your faith in that person, they're, they're, it's going to be, they're going to stand faithful to that trust. Don't you want that? I mean, I know I want that. I want that in my friends. I want that in my, my kids and my wife, my family. I, I want that. We, we all want that. Someone who will never let us down. And the death of Jesus tells us that Jesus is not going to let us down. That he is trustworthy and your faith in him has been validated. Because Jesus is alive, Paul says, the life that I live, I now live by trusting in this Son of God. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Because Christ is risen, Jesus is trustworthy. Here's the third one. Remember, there's six of them. Because Jesus came back to life never to die again, our Bibles are true. In verse 15, it says, Paul says, you know, if, if Jesus isn't risen, then all of us who've been telling you that he is, we're liars. Hey, man, we're deceivers. We're telling people that God did something that God didn't do. And he's saying, but that's not true because Christ is risen. Paul is saying that, you know, what we, what we report to you, what we've said to you is true. And so, and so what that means is that the apostles' witness, as recorded for us in our Bibles, is true. I can trust my Bible. My Bible is true. Now, if you're a thinker, you're really objecting right now. I know you are. You're really objecting, and you're saying, that is too much of a leap, Jimmy, So even if I give you that the apostles were right on the resurrection of Jesus, that's too much of a leap to believe that the whole Bible is true simply because they were right on the resurrection of Jesus. You follow me? I think in in debate it's a non sequitur. One doesn't follow follow the other. So I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you that. But but what I am going to say to you is this. What the apostles proclaimed was true. So even if you won't give me the whole Old Testament, you won't give me the whole Bible, I want to say that because they were true in the resurrection, they are true in the other things that they said about Jesus. And one of the things that they said about him, they said that Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, no one coming to God except by him. Jesus made the claim that I am truthful. He actually said of others, you are liars, just like your father, the the adversary or the deceiving one. You're, You're a liar like him, but not me. 
I speak the truth. Now, the, the need for truth is, is such a deep need in every one of our hearts. And actually, it's the need of our human society. Can I just tell you this? Without this conviction that absolute truth exists, that we can build society on, all societies are going to eventually disintegrate into anarchy because everybody is going to do what is right in their own, in their own eyes. You know, it's, it's, it's a rare thing these days, isn't it? Um, to, it's a rare thing to find any teenager, any young person who holds to absolute truth. In fact, our culture today is, is teaching just the opposite of that. Our culture is not teaching that there is such a thing as absolute truth. It's, it's a rare thing to find a, a high schooler in health class who will say premarital sex is wrong, wrong for everyone, whether you think it is or whether you don't think it is, right? It's, it's, it's a rare thing to find young people. But let me just say this. I'm a boomer. I'm a baby boomer. I mean, I barely made it in there. But I'm a baby boomer. And it's a rare thing even amongst baby boomers anymore to believe that there's such a thing as absolute truth, right and wrong. But Jesus rising from the dead validates the apostles' claims that he did so. And so what that means is they are truthful witnesses to what God revealed and what did, to what Jesus said. And where is what Jesus revealed taught to us? In our New Testament. And so I'm going to make, I'm going to make a little bit of a leap, but I'm going to tell you, because Christ is risen from the dead, your Bible is true. Your New Testament accurately reports what Jesus taught and what Jesus said. Number four, because Jesus came back to life, never to die again, our sins are forgiven. Now I tell you, if I had to start with the most important, I would have started with the one in verse 17. Because Christ is risen from the dead, my sins are forgiven. If I had to rank if I had to rank the importance of feeling forgiven, forgiven in our lives, I, I would say it, it's just it's got to be at the top in everyone's life because deep down we all long to be forgiven. I think deep down we all know we all know that we're going to have to that that God sees my wrong, and, and deep down inside every one of our hearts this morning we know that we're going to have to answer to to this God. We might not know much about Him, but deep down we all know we're going to have to give an account to Him. And so all the blessings of the Bible, really, they, they all stem from this one, knowing that I can be forgiven before God. Now, how is the resurrection connected to our forgiveness? After all, isn't it the death of Jesus that pays for our sins? Let me talk to those of you that are followers of Christ. What does the resurrection have to do with our forgiveness at all? Because really, the death of Jesus is he died for our sins, correct? His death is what propitiated, big word. His, his sin is what, what makes it possible for God to forgive us. His death did that, okay? So what does the resurrection have to do? How does this have to do with our sins being forgiven? Well, don't forget this. The penalty of our sin is, what is it? The penalty of our sin is death. Death happens to all of us because we are sinners. We're all going to die because the wages of sin is death. So the penalty of sin has been paid for. Why do we still die? If Jesus bore our sins, everyone, why do we still die? If the, if the penalty of sin is death, why, am I still, why are you going to lay me out in a casket one day? Or, or, or you know, if I have uh, my body, what is it... Uh, 
what, what do you call it when you cremated? Have, sorry about that. If I have my body cremated, you know what? Why does that still happen to me? If Jesus has already paid for my sin with his death on the cross. Well, because the Bible makes it really, really clear that all of us are going to die once. And then all of us, and this is where it gets, this is where some of you that maybe not followers of Jesus, I'm going to lose you on this. You're going to say, whoa, Jimmy, you're way out there. But, but really, this is, what, this is what our Bibles teach. That all of us are going to die once. And there's coming a day where God's going to raise everybody back to life. Everybody. My, my, my Adolf Hitler and uh, Stephen Hawking and George Washington and my grandmother will rise again. My dad will rise again. And, uh, and we'll all rise to stand before the judgment bar of God. So track with me here, okay? Those whose faith in God will have their sins forgiven by the saving work of Jesus, by his death. And those who have not will pay for their own sins. And the wages of those sins will be death. And they will be cast into the lake of fire, which the Bible calls that experience the second death. Jesus rose from the dead to pay for our second death. And he is the first fruit of what's going to happen to every one of us. Let me read you the same verse, the same chapter we're in, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, that's all of us, all of us are in Adam, all of us die. So also, all of us who are in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to, to the God and Father, and when he has abolished all rule and authority and powers, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Jesus rising to a new glorified life is but the first of us to do it. All the rest of us that are in Christ, we also will experience resurrection. So back to my, back to my original thought, because Jesus is risen from the dead, our sins are forgiven. The resurrection proves our, our sins are forgiven because Christ is going to raise us up from the dead just like him. Romans 4.25, God gave Jesus to die for our sins and he raised him to life because we have been made acceptable to God. Everyone in this room needs forgiveness. Deep inside you know it. E even if you don't think about it, you long for it. You long to be accepted by God you, long, you, you fear death. You want to live. And that is natural. Paul says, Christ and Christ alone is the one who will give you life. Because he lives, we will live too. Number five, because Jesus came back to life, never to die again, those who have died will live again. That's, that's the, the negative. He says, hey, those who have died, they've perished but the positive is, because Christ is risen, those who have gone on ahead of us, those who have died in Christ, they, they will rise again. Just as Jesus died and rose from the dead, they're going, to, they're going to rise again. Everyone who sleeps in the dust of the earth, everyone who has fallen asleep already, they will rise again from the dead, just like Jesus did. Now, I've had the solemn privilege of being there when several 
times people have breathed their last breath. I guess that comes with being a pastor, right? You, you happen to be there when somebody is breathing their last breath. And I've had the, the privilege of officiating in a lot of funeral services. But no one I've ever known has come back. No one I've ever known has come back. And even in the Bible, the half a dozen people that did rise from the dead, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't rise to never die again. They rised, they were raised up just like they had been, and they died again. They were not raised like Christ as the first fruits of resurrection with a glorified new body. They were not like Jesus. They died again. No wonder, listen to what I'm going to say, no wonder people scoffed when Paul was preaching the resurrection of Jesus in the book of Acts. In fact, it's when he said, we preach this one risen from the dead that everyone got, just got to start saying, yeah, get out of here. We don't want to hear anymore. And that's when the meeting broke apart. Why? Because resurrection from the dead to never die again, especially, is something that doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, because he rose from the dead, all those men and women who have gone on before us, they will rise to life again. Because he lives, my grandmother is going to live again. And I'm going to tell you something else. Because he lives, my dad is going to live again. My dad is going to be raised back to life. And I'm going to tell you something else. By the stripes of my Savior, my dad's mind is going to be made right again. Something to hope for, right, Mom? My dad will rise again, and so will yours if he's in Christ. So will your grandmother and your great-grandmother, and so will the Apostle Paul, and so will every believer throughout every generation. They will rise to a new and glorified life. And I know if there's an atheist in here, they're saying, oh my goodness, Jimmy, you are just so deceived and so confused, and it's okay, but you know what? I put my faith that Christ died and rose again, and I believe there's an empty tomb. And because I believe there's an empty tomb, I believe those who have died will rise to never, ever, ever die again. And they shall be raised immortal with all of the qualities of my Savior. And I'm not mad. It might look like it on my face. I'm excited about that, okay? I'm excited about that. And finally, because Jesus came back to life never to die again, we are to be emulated, not to be pitied. We are to be emulated. We are to be followed. The negative of verse 19 is, we of all people are most to be pitied if Christ is not raised. And really, folks, I tell you, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are all living under some great delusion. And we should be pitied like most people who suffer from some form of insanity, we, we, you know, who live under some sort of hallucination. We ought to be pitied like someone who is suffering from that sort of thing. But since Jesus has been raised, and because Jesus is alive and reigns as king forever, all of our obedience, all of our love for Jesus, all of our love for each other, all of our self-denial and following faithfully to Jesus and loving one another, all of that is not, not to be pitied, is not to be pitied. I mean, it is to be emulated. It is to be copied. It is to be followed. The Apostle Paul says the slight momentary affliction that's happening in our lives, the suffering that happens in our lives because we follow Jesus is working for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
And I think in every one of us, I know there is in me, and I bet you it's in you as well, you want, to li- you, you want to end your life having lived it well, having spent your life on something that matters than just living it for yourself for however many years you might have. I think all of us deep down, we, we, want, to, we want to have our lives count for something. Most of us don't want to end up at death saying, what was the point of that? What a waste my life has been, you know. Wow, that shouldn't turn out how I wanted. What a useless living I did. None of us want that. You know, in the Christmas carol, as I was preparing this, I mean, Scrooge came to mind. And you remember Scrooge on the, on the third, the third uh, was it, uh, spirit that visited him, takes him to the grave. And, uh, and, he, and you remember that what he hears are all these people talking about how they could care less about this guy who died. And then at the very end of the movie, you know, Scrooge is saying, please tell me I can change this. Please tell me that I can live a life that's, that's valuable or that makes a difference. Because Jesus is risen, our lives aren't in vain. They're not to be pitied, just the opposite. Our lives as followers of Jesus are to be envied. Our lives are significant. Our lives are valuable. Our lives are to be emulated. Because we follow the one who has prepared for us more than we could ever hope or imagine. In raising Jesus from the dead, God gave us a message that matters and exalted Jesus as the God-man messenger. In raising Jesus from the dead, God gave us a Savior we can count on and exalted Jesus as the trustworthy King. I changed that from sovereign. I bet it still says sovereign up there. God gave us a testimony because Jesus has risen from the dead that we can rely on. And he exalted Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Because Jesus has risen, God gave us forgiveness we can rest in and exalted Jesus as our merciful forgiver. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, God gave us hope of resurrection and exalted Jesus as the first fruit of what is to come. Like Jesus, I shall rise like Him and be like Him. And God gave us a life of purpose and meaning and exalted Jesus as the source of that life. And so therefore this morning, I urge all of us here to lift up our hearts to lift up our hearts and say with the many that have gone on before us worthy is the lamb that was slain and has redeemed us to God by his blood to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing amen would you bow your heads with me for just a moment before we dismiss I felt like the Lord impressed on my heart to say this. You know, because Jesus came back to life, never to die again, our lives are, are, not, not to be, are not to be pitied. Our lives are to be emulated. They're to be emulated. They're to be copied. But I got to thinking as I was sitting there worshiping, I was wondering, Lord, how, how often, how often... This, this resurrection of Jesus doesn't impact us at all. We, we don't live lives that matter. We don't live lives that are to be emulated. You know, the, the love of Jesus isn't compelling us to love him back and to live for him. This morning in prayer meeting, I, I felt like the Lord impressed on my heart 
you know, I told the group that was praying, I said, hey, I, I just feel like today's a day of new beginnings for, for us as a church family. This is, this is a day to kind of start fresh. You know, it's, it's not January 1st. It's, it's just kind of a, this is a new day. And so I think this morning that, I think this morning that this might be a time of new beginnings for some of you. Maybe to put your faith in Jesus for the first time. And I mean, I, I realize if this is the first you're hearing, you know, trusting in Christ would be very hard from this position. But, but maybe the Spirit of God's working in you. Maybe He's been working in you, drawing you to Himself. Maybe this is the day, maybe this is the day that you put your faith in Christ, that you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and these six things become true of you. But for most of us here, we follow Jesus. We're his sons and daughters by faith. We put our hope in the resurrection and we put our hope in our coming resurrection from the dead. And I tell you this last, this last point that we are to be we are, we are the opposite of being pitied. We should be emulated or we should be, um, people should want to follow this Jesus in us. And I just, I just wonder how many of us this morning need to repent from living lives that no one's going to see Jesus in us. No one's going to see us loving the Savior by who we are and how we act and by our faithlessness. Whenever I've messed up, whenever I find myself on the wrong path, whenever I realize that I've veered off. It's, a really, it's really short to get back. It begins with just repentance and a change of my mind and heart. I want to invite you this morning in the quietness of this moment to, if your life has not, has not been, you're, you're a follower of Christ, but your life is not something that, that people should follow, but rather something just lukewarm and blah I would just invite you this morning to repent to change your mind to change your heart to return to the place where you got off course and just begin to say Lord I'm, I'm back I want to follow you and the neat thing about our father is he's always waiting Jesus told this little story where the father was always looking always waiting he's always waiting he's waiting on you so this morning, if your heart is at that place of repentance, I invite you to repent and return to him. Lord, we can't hear the cries of the heart that are going up in this room, but, but I pray that you hear every cry and you hear every prayer. And Lord, men and women, brothers and sisters who this morning are, are crying out to you, Lord, thank you that you hear every one of them. Lord, I pray that this would be a day of new beginnings. Lord, it was, it was, a, day, it was a day of new beginnings for the early church, Lord, for they thought all was lost but now their world was turned upside down. Lord, turn our world upside down. Beginning, beginning this day, this, this first day of April, Lord, I, I pray that our world would be turned upside down. That, Lord, we would begin to, to just live for you. Thank you that these things are all true, Lord, that because Christ is risen, you know, your word is true. The testimony of, our, of those apostles is true. Lord, our, our faith is in you has been validated. Our sins are forgiven. Those who have gone on, we have hope of their resurrection and that they have not perished. And uh, Lord, and we, we know that our faith matters. It's our lives are to be, our, our lives matter and are to be envied, Lord, as we follow you. So God, would you just work that in our lives as we begin this new 
this new year-to-year, Easter-to-Easter, Resurrection Sunday-to-Resurrection Sunday. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.